The summer going into my senior year of high school will be forever etched into my memory. That was the summer when I really began to experience what independence was all about. My parents were a little bit more lenient about my curfew. I could drive just about anywhere within a certain radius. And for the most part, I got to determine my day-to-day schedule, and I absolutely loved it. I'll never forget one June evening when about 10 of my closest friends were over at my parents' house. We were all just hanging out, and to tell you the truth, we were a little bit bored. Now, you know that boredom mixed with a bunch of 17-year-old guys is never going to end well, right? Well, we're sitting out on my parents' back patio when one of my buddies said, hey, how about we go throw water balloons at oncoming cars? Well, we thought that was a brilliant idea. And so we all piled into a couple cars, headed out to a local Walgreens to buy those little water balloon packs. We headed back to my parents' house to fill them out. And then after doing that, we headed to a spot that I had identified on the, on the way to the store earlier that evening. And so we're into position when all of a sudden, through the haze of the Kentucky summer night, we see a Jeep Grand Cherokee making its way into our target zone. And so we get ready, we get our balloons in our hand, and as soon as that Jeep crosses right before us, we throw our balloons all at once, and bam, all ten balloons nailed this poor soul that was just innocently driving by on a June evening. Now, this story is probably more of a confession for me uh, than anything. And so we ran back to the safety of my parents' house, and I got to tell you, we didn't know that such fun existed. I mean, our adrenaline was pumping, and we were out of breath at this point, and we're all just kind of leaned over like this. And and being the wise, mature person that I am, I, I decided to chime in, and I said, okay, guys, okay, guys, we can't do this all this often, all right? We got to limit ourselves to about five nights a week. Well, about three weeks later, uh, we realized that we had a problem because we preferred water ballooning cars to hanging out with girls. <laughs> it was June 26th at about midnight when we decided to go out for one last run for the evening. We got our balloons all ready. We put it in our cooler and we headed out to the spot right by the road. And, and we're there just a couple minutes when we see a white Ford Explorer just kind of slowly making its way into our target zone. And so we crouched down, we get into position, we're ready. We aimed, we fired, and bam, we're good at this point. I mean, we nailed this car and we jumped up and down. I mean, we were so thrilled, we were excited until red and blue lights lit up the dark night. The next thing we knew, we were on in, right in the peripheral of a police spotlight. And so we ran. That was the only thing we needed to do at that point. And so we ran away. And then the police started chasing us on foot. They tackled us and they put us in handcuffs. <laughs> now it's bad. I mean, it's, it's bad because we knew that something that we loved was being taken away from us. But what was even worse was having the chief of police tell me that I had to go up to my parents' bedroom and wake them up at 1 o'clock in the morning while in handcuffs on their anniversary night. <laughs> I learned a lot that summer. <laughs> but you know, one of the main takeaways for me during those pivotal months of my life was that with increased freedom comes increased responsibility, Right? I mean, just because I had a lot of freedom didn't mean that I had the right to just go out and do whatever I wanted. No, the more freedom I had, the more I needed to know and learn and experience what that meant and what it didn't mean. 
Well, this weekend, as Sai said a moment ago, we, we kind of conclude this series that we've been in for the past several weeks, uh, rooted in a book in scripture called Galatians. And if there's one thing that we've really taken away each week, it's that when it comes to being connected back to our creator, we bring nothing to the table. I mean, we don't deserve it. We don't earn it whatsoever. Rather, it's all about receiving this free gift called grace by trusting in what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Now, that's what we refer to as the gospel of grace. Upon receiving grace in our life, we then begin to experience freedom. And so in chapter 5 tonight, the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to a group of churches 2,000 years ago, he's going to talk to us about what freedom in Christ means and what freedom in Christ doesn't mean. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and jump there now. Uh, Galatians is towards the back third of your Bibles. Um, and uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 5 tonight uh, in verse 1. And so the Apostle Paul starts out with kind of the thesis, the primary theme of the entire book. He says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's all just say this aloud tonight at once, okay? One, two, three. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Very good. He goes on to say, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Now this is the main point that Paul has driven home throughout the his entire letter to the Galatian churches. Followers of Jesus are free from guilt, shame, fear, condemnation, and are free to have the assurance of salvation. Now, notice that he says that we are to stand firm. You might want to underline that phrase. That's really important. We are not to let ourselves be burned again by the yoke of slavery. I like it how one translation puts it. It says, do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery and so let me just ask you tonight, what, what's your shackle of slavery? I mean, what is your, your yoke of slavery? I mean, what is tough for you to maybe move beyond? Where do you feel trapped in life? Now, throughout this series, some of you have begun down a pathway of freedom. And here's where some of you are at. I'm learning to not be so jealous of everyone around me and be content. I'm learning that if someone disagrees with me, that it's not the end of the world. I'm learning to restore my marriage after my affair. I'm learning to drown out the voices from an abusive parent and see the words for what they really are, lies. I'm learning that I don't always have to be right when in conversation with my friends. I mean, we all have stuff in our life that we need to be broken of, right? I mean, just because we are saved doesn't mean that we aren't going to struggle with being enslaved from time to time. Now, in the original Greek language, our text literally means a past action that has been completed. But what does this really mean? Paul goes on to explain it a little bit further. Skip down to verse 13 if you're following along. Here's what he says. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now right here, Paul acknowledges that once you become a Christian, you have two desires or two drives that war for your focus, for your attention, and for your affection. Now the old desire is from your sinful nature and is sometimes referred to as the flesh throughout Scripture. And then there's this other side of you that desires what is right and true and is from the Holy Spirit. And so here's the idea that Paul is getting at as we follow Jesus. That you and I, we are free to be made new. We are free to be made new. Now before Christ, we are enslaved to sin and deserving of condemnation. 
Now, no matter how hard we try, we cannot please our creator. We do not have the desire, even ability or power to withstand temptation. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that this side of us, this flesh, is actually in bondage to decay. But you see, then once we begin to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside us and helps us form to become that new creation that we are. Now to understand this more completely, we need to realize that our salvation is past, present, and future. You see, we are saved because of what Christ has done for us 2,000 years ago. We are saved today by the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, molding us and shaping us to become the child of God that we are And then we will be saved in the future securely. When we see Jesus face to face, we are given a new body and we are absent of all darkness and brokenness. Perhaps that's why Paul previously says this in Galatians 5 verse 5. He says, for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It's as if Paul is saying that if you've received grace... You are free to rest knowing that you're in the process and progress of being made new. But do you know what ends up happening along the way? We look for ways to abuse our freedom, don't we? You see, the freedom we have isn't so much permission to do wrong or to sin. Rather, it's about having the power to do what's right. Now, because of the Holy Spirit, we are freed from our old way of living so that we can learn a better way to live. Now, let me just stop right there for just a moment. Isn't it sometimes frustrating for you to hear what you know to be true? You try to apply it to your life, but you see no progress along the way. I mean, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, man, Patrick, I hear that you are telling us that we are free to be made new, that we are new creations, but I just don't see evidence of that in my life right now. I mean, maybe you... You really want to forgive an ex for what they did to you, but but you just can't let go. Or it could be that you're ready to move beyond this addiction to porn, but the draw is just too strong for you. Perhaps you're ready to just quit hitting things every time you get angry, but that's your only sense of relief whenever you're really stressed out. You ever been there before? Some time ago, I was sitting in my office before church, and I was just really frustrated with myself. The night before, I'd been really impatient with my family and I'd been harboring some bitterness and resentment towards some friends in my life over over something that they had done that was just insignificant in the long run. Now I knew that I was to be open and honest about it and so I got down on my knees right in my office and I gave it over to the Lord. I had that moment of honesty. I said amen and guess what? Nothing changed. It's frustrating. Just at that time, I came across a story It's told by C.S. Lewis in his book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I'm just going to read you the story. And I just want to see if you identify with it at all tonight. Because in this moment when I'm having this experience in my office, it's as if if he's talking about me. The story is about a boy named Eustace. And it takes place in a magical world called Narnia. You see, Eustace is a very selfish, prideful, greedy, and unfriendly boy who is disliked by just about everybody. One day while venturing around an island, Eustace wanders off by himself and he ends up stumbling upon a cave containing a dragon's hoard of treasure. Now realizing that if he kept the hoard of treasure, that he could be as rich as the king of Narnia, and so he decides to keep the treasure for himself. 
After all the excitement of discovering the treasure, Eustace falls asleep on top of the jewels, the crowns, and the gold coins and for what they had promised him. Much to Eustace's surprise, when he wakes up the next morning, he realizes that overnight he had been kind of transformed into this dragon. You see, in Narnia, if you think dragon thoughts and you do dragon things, eventually you will become a dragon. Eustace, he's no longer that chubby little boy. He's a monster. He's not who he used to be. He's not who he wants to be. He's not who he was created or designed to be. The, friend, the only friends he have are now terrified him. After all, Eustace is a dragon. And as I was captivated by the story for the very first time there in my office, I realized that it was my story. And I just began getting really emotional, which is not me at all. A friend of mine mentions a story in his book, and he writes this. He says, becoming a dragon is a dangerously sneaky process. Becoming a dragon takes a long string of bad choices and decisions you don't even realize you're making until it's too late. One day you glance at the mirror, and a monster is staring back at you. You know what I mean? You ever been there? Well, as the story continues, Eustace sadly walks into the forest. He is alone, confused, and and just defeated by life. He has resigned himself to the fact that he will always be a dragon, and there's just no hope for change for him. This is precisely the moment when he meets a lion named Aslan. Now, in the story, Aslan represents Jesus. As Aslan looks Eustace in the eyes and calls to him, He is fearful, yet he is strangely compelled. And so Eustace follows the huge lion to a mountaintop garden. Standing by a wall of clear water, Aslan instructs the boy turned dragon to undress. At first, Eustace is confused because he isn't wearing any clothes. But then he remembers that he's a giant lizard and all reptiles can shed their skin. And so Eustace tries to free himself. He painfully tears away at his layers of skills, but under, underneath is another layer of scales. And, and after every layer, he peels away as another layer and another layer. After a while, he's just absolutely exhausted from trying to change himself. He's exhausted from the pain. He can't do it any longer. And so he whimpers to Aslan in defeat. And so Aslan says in a really strong, deep voice, you'll have to let me undress you. Eustace reluctantly agrees to let Aslan shed his scales. He lies down on his dragon back and Aslan plunges his enormous claws into Eustace's chest. The pain is unbearable. Finally, the lion reaches deep into the chest cavity of the dragon and he pulls out this small trembling boy who is dripping with filth. Aslan then, then throws Eustace's pale body into the waters and he gasps for air. He's no longer a dragon. He's finally the boy he was created to be. You see, his friends are no longer scared of him. He is washed, he is changed, and he is made whole. You see, the greatest need that you and I have is to be made new. The greatest need that we have is to be free. Now, you don't need me to tell you that inside you, somewhere deep below, is a dragon that lurks, and if you feed him, he's gonna overtake you with time. But you see, our only hope is that Jesus, the great and mighty lion, is the one who can free us. Now, can I tell you what God has been teaching me as I come face to face with my dragon every now and then? I don't like the answer, and you may not like it itself, but it's this. The struggle's good. Don't give up. 
I mean, you may feel like giving up and, and you don't like how when you want God to show up, he doesn't always show up when you want, but, but don't give up. In fact, God has been telling me time and time again, Patrick, you are more than what you do. You are more than what you don't do. You are secure in me. You are washed. You are clean. You see, I'm also learning that we put way too much emphasis upon emotions. I mean, emotions can be deceptive and they lie to us, right? Rather, being made new in the image of God is about submitting ourselves to God's truth even when we don't feel like it. You see, we shouldn't so much fear what we struggle with as much as we should fear when that struggle in our life ceases altogether. Perhaps this is why Paul went on to say this in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want, Paul says. You see, you can't learn to walk by the spirit until we really learn to live out this next point. And it's this, okay? That we are free to be safe with each other. We are free to be safe with each other. What's this all about? I mean, this doesn't really make much sense. I get it. Hang with me for here just a moment. Verse 15, verse 14 and 15, Paul goes on to say this. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You see, fear is what keeps you and I in bondage. We fear what people will think. But because we're all just a bunch of sinners in need of grace, we are free to be open and honest with each other. You see, a Christian who truly understands her salvation will not be quick to condemn another believer because she understands that her sin is no different. You see, the Bible tells us that perfect love actually drives out fear. Therefore, if you and I truly love one another, then that means the more we create a culture of love, the less fear we will experience when our sin and our struggles and burdens are exposed. May that always be true of this place that we call Crossroads. You see, the point of church is not to just know a bunch of people. No, the point of church is to be known. Community is where God's spirit shows up and teaches us, right? One thing I've learned in this series is that you can't be free unless you learn to open up with others. This requires having a safe environment for you to do this. Jennifer Chaffin of our church told me this past week that when she was 16 years old, she was gang raped and left for dead. Recovering physically from such a horrific event was, was one thing. But having to deal with the emotional and psychological pain was another. It's been a journey, she told me. The other day she wrote this to me in an email. She said, Patrick, recovery hasn't been easy, but God has been faithful. Through different small groups that I've been a part of here at Crossroads, I now see myself as a survivor and not a victim. You see, what she's saying is that she has found a safe environment where she can share her burdens. And maybe you can relate to her story. Maybe you can't. But let me ask you something. If Jennifer can experience freedom from her past wounds by intentionally surrounding herself with a safe Christ-centered community, don't you think that God has a similar plan for you and whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life? I mean, what if the only thing standing between you and your burden and your brokenness and freedom is your decision to journey through life with a small group? Look at what Paul later says in Galatians 6 verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
You see, we value small groups here, here at Crossroads for a purpose because it is our dream that every person who calls this church home experiences the free whole life that Christ intends for us to walk. We need each other. And you know what? To be straight with you, it is really hard to experience that just showing up week after week for services. Let me make this really practical for you, and let me just challenge you with something. If you are not a part of any kind of small group here at Crossroads, then we want to encourage you to attend what's called Group Connect in January. Group Connect is a, uh, it's kind of like speed dating for adults, all right? <laughs> and this is a non-threatening atmosphere where you can meet other people who are in your same boat. And from this event, we will match you up with a group that seems to be the best fit for you with where you are in life. There's no pressure to sign up for a group if you show up. Uh, for Group Connect. It'll be on uh, January 12th at 6.30 p.m. You can register for it by going to this uh, link right here, cccgo.com forward slash small groups. And, uh, and let me just dare you, like if you're skeptical, if you think I don't want to do that, then, then just try it out for four weeks. Just try out a small group. I mean, what do you have to lose? The second route that you might want to take is to be a part of what we call support groups here. Now, these are specialized groups that are directed at helping people with their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups in life. We have support groups for those who are going through a divorce and grieving. We have classes for those who are maybe needing help with finances or recovering from addictions. Support groups are every Monday night here at Crossroads at 6.30 and uh, beginning uh, sometime in January. But, but you, don't need to sign, you don't need to sign up. You just need to show up now, okay? Because of the response we've seen in this series... Maybe your situation right now is a little bit too desperate for you to wait until January to join some type of group. We're actually offering a follow-up class, kind of intensive class to the series that will meet here November 30th at 6.30 p.m. in the chapel. This class will be for anyone who is in a really dark place and needs immediate help. You just show up and you learn in a more hands-on manner how to cope and experience freedom in your life. But you know what? A lot of us are going to walk away today still trying to experience freedom all by ourselves. And you know what? You have your reasons, right? I mean, maybe you tried out a small group before and it was just a bunch of weird people that you just couldn't connect with. It could be that they asked you to answer something and you had no idea what they were talking about. Or, or worse, you showed up to be part of a small group and it was a bunch of UK fans, you know? I mean, that's just bad in itself. And so you're thinking, that you're thinking to yourself, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and you know what, Patrick, I got burned. No, thank you. <laughs> but my experience has been that when it comes to experiencing true community, the biggest barrier for us is sometimes believing that we're alone, that we're in it all by ourselves, and our struggles and our burdens are, are foreign and nobody can relate to us, right? You know, one of the more uh, popular Stories about Jesus is found in John chapter 8. It's been traditionally called the woman caught in the act of adultery. And what I want to do just for the next few moments, I want to retell you this story just from a different perspective. And, and you've probably heard it if you've been in church any extended period of time. And, and if you're like me, something like this can just become overly familiar for you. And so what I want you to do as I read you this story is I just want you to shut your eyes and I want you to try to imagine this story as it's taking place. And so go ahead and shut your eyes here for a minute. I want you to picture this woman who has no idea who she is at her deepest level. She's searching for her identity. She wants freedom, and so she's settling for less by letting herself go into the arms of a man who isn't her husband. When the man she's about to have sex with walks into the room, at, at first she feels guilt. 
She knows that what she's about to do is wrong, but she suppresses it, or at least long enough to climb into bed with him so that she can feel valued for those few minutes. She tries to escape from the moment by thinking about something else, but she doesn't want to be there. Just when the act itself was about to be done, the door she was hiding behind is stormed down by the religious leaders of the day. These men were the equivalent of the entire church staff walking in on you during your worst moment. <laughs> they condemned her. They didn't even allow her the decency of putting her clothes back on before they drag her naked body across the floor. She knows that her life is about to literally be taken from her. That's what the law says. She has no case to plead. She was caught in the act itself. And so what the religious leaders do is they bring her body into the temple for everyone to see. They drag her naked body to church. Can you imagine being drugged in front of the church after your worst moment just happened? How would you feel? And then there's the mob. The angry mob of religious leaders who were ready to make an example of her in front of everyone. They were foaming at the mouth, ready to bash in her skull for what she had done. Now open your eyes for a minute. What's the lesson being taught in the temple to the bystanders that day? Hide, right? You better keep your sin a secret. This, the lesson wasn't don't sin. You know why? Because everybody sins. The lesson was hide or this will happen to you. The problem was this. The fear of consequences isn't all that effective at keeping people from sinning, right? And you see, Jesus knew that. The only sinless man in the crowd that day, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who knit this woman together in her mother's womb. And, and what does he do? He gets between her and the angry mob. You see, this was not a safe moment for those with a stone in their hand ready to nail this woman. Jesus basically said to the religious leaders, hey, you know what? If this is going down right here, then after she's dead, it's going to be a long day because we're going to take all those stones that are bloody and we're going to throw them and turn them on you because you know what? Your sin is no different. And that is precisely why scripture notes that the oldest left first. You know why? Because they knew better. They were wiser. Isn't it freeing to feel like you don't have to hide or pretend anymore? I mean, for this woman caught in the act of adultery, was it horrifying for her? Absolutely. But was it freeing though? As weird as it sounds, it kind of was. Now she can drop the act. Now she can be honest. You see, freedom prevails over the enslavement of our image at the moment of our honesty. And a lot of us, we walk in here and we think that we're alone. We think we're in it all by ourselves, right? You think people will be shocked by your sin. Can I tell you something? Jesus has never been shocked by your sin. He sees what you try to hide. In fact, Scripture goes so far to say that he who knew no sin actually became your sin, your specific sin for you. Why? So that you might become the righteousness of God. So the question is, it's not, are you safe with Jesus? You're maybe starting to learn that. But the question is, are you safe with others? Are you safe with the church? If you're on the end of the rows here, what, what I want you to do is I want you to go ahead and pass out those red and white pieces of paper. As Cy mentioned a moment ago, we, we filled these out a couple weeks ago. I want you to make sure that everyone gets one in your row. 
Now, this is really important for you to know that you are holding someone else's piece of paper, okay? You are not holding your own. If you weren't with us two weeks ago, as a church, we went through and answered about 13 questions in a personal way. This was a moment of honesty for a lot of us. It was a moment where, where we took a step towards freedom and, and away from the enslavement of pretending. And so here's what you probably felt as you filled those out. I'm all alone. I mean, does anybody else really struggle with this? There's no way that someone in our church marked yes for this question. And so know that you are holding someone else's piece of paper right now. You're holding someone else's secrets that they've never told anyone before. And the opposite is true as well. Someone's holding yours. But right now, you're going to represent someone else's brokenness, their struggles, their sin, their burdens. As we walk through these questions again, as we walk through these questions again, if your card has that box, yes, checked off, then I just want you to stand up as I read through the questions, okay? And I'll instruct you from there. So here's the first question that we asked ourselves two weeks ago. Have you ever struggled with fear or anxiety? Look around the room. Okay, you can sit down. Question number two, do you have anything in your life that you regret? Look around the room, you can sit down. Have you ever struggled with depression before? For some of us, this is gonna be the best workout we get all week. (laughs) You can go ahead and be seated. And do you have anything in your life that you're constantly ashamed of? Look around the room. You can be seated. Have you ever been have you ever been in sexual relations with someone who wasn't your spouse? Go ahead and look around the room. You can be seated. Number six, have you ever been physically abused or been physically abusive to someone else? Look around the room on that one. You can be seated. Number seven, have you ever thought about or attempted suicide before? You can be seated. Number eight, have you ever cut yourself or intentionally harmed yourself? Go ahead and stand up. Thanks, you can be seated. Number nine, have you ever had a sexual relationship with someone who wasn't your spouse? You can be seated. Number 10, do you have secrets that no one knows about? Thanks, you can be seated. Number 11, do you have anything in your life that you can't stop doing? You can be seated. Do you struggle with thoughts, attractions, or temptations that you know are outside of what God declares is true? You can be seated. Have you ever lied to someone in an effort to hide your reactions? Number 13. You can be seated. 
If you thought you were alone, you aren't. If you thought that you weren't welcome, you are. If you thought that there was no hope, there is. If you thought that you can never be honest, let me tell you something, you can. If, if you thought freedom wasn't possible, it is. And if you thought this was a church full of perfect people, you're smoking something. <laughs> because you know what, it, it, it's not. And, but if you thought this was a church full of forgiven people, it is. As we close today, I know that there are some of us here today who have maybe not crossed that line of salvation and entrusted Christ as Lord. There are others of us here today, you, you have made that decision in the past. You've been a Christian for quite some time, but you've just been enslaved and you've been in bondage lately to something, right? I wonder if today could be a new day for you and you symbolize that new day, this new chapter by, by being baptized. You see, baptism in scripture, it communicates a cleansing that happens. It, it represents the washing away of sin and, and brokenness in our life. It's the moment where we declare our true identity rest in what Christ has done for us and, and not in what we bring to the table. I mean, it requires a little bit of vulnerability on your part to choose to be baptized because you know what? When you take a step towards that water, you're saying, look, I've tried fixing my life, I can't, and you know what? I give up. Your baptism also means that you have found freedom that is securely yours in Christ alone. In Acts chapter two, it's the story of a guy named Peter who stands up kind of in a room like this in the temple. And there were thousands of people there that day and, and he told the message of Jesus for the very first time. There were again, thousands of people there. He went on to say, hey, you know that Jesus guy who walked these streets over a month ago? He was God. He, he was perfect. He was sinless. And, and he was the one that our ancestors had been prophesying and thinking about and praying for for thousands of years. And do you know what you did to him? Do you know what I did to him? We nailed him to a cross. We killed him. But you need to know that, that God's not mad. In fact, what he did in that moment was a miracle because he took your shame, your sin, your brokenness, everything that you struggle with in your life. He put it on the body of Jesus and, and he offers you an opportunity to be connected back to him in a loving relationship. And so the people said, that, that's a pretty good deal. We didn't know, what do we need to do? And Peter said, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. In other words, think differently, turn your life around and, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you see what Peter was saying is, is then from that day on, you can have the assurance of freedom that you're ultimately looking for. And that's what a lot of us, we, we come in here and we want. And that's what a lot of us, we need to do tonight. And so that's what I'm going to invite you to do. I have to tell you that I feel a little bit vulnerable asking you to take this step because it's not something that we really had planned out, but it's something that we sensed, hey, God, God could be leading our people to be taking this step in their life. And, and so I wonder if you might join me in my vulnerability and, and you step out of your row and you take that step. Or maybe you were baptized as a baby and you think, well, I've already been baptized. Why, why do I need to be rebaptized? I was sprinkled, right? And to that, I'd say, that's my story. Be grateful for what your mom, your dad, your grandparents did for you at a young age. But you know what? At some point, you've got to own your faith. At some point, you have to take that baton and say, okay, I, I am choosing to follow Jesus. And so if you choose to be baptized, then you're not nullifying what your parents or grandparents did for you at a young age. You're only completing the, the thing that they did for you. And so if you're a section host, what I want you to do is just go ahead and stand up right now. Here's how this is going to work if, if you want to be baptized tonight. 
a few around the room here. As the song is sung here in just a moment, if you're ready to become, if you're ready to be free, if you're ready to put your past behind you, if you're ready to say, hey, I, I want to become that new creation, I just want you to make your way to a section host or one of us here on staff. They're going to take you backstage through this middle door here, and they're going to show you where the changing rooms are. We have towels, we have shirts, we have underwear, we have everything that you need to be baptized because you know what, you probably didn't come here planning to be baptized, but we, we've got you covered back there. And you might be wondering, well, who's going to baptize me? I don't know, how about the person who brought you? How about a parent? How about a grandparent or, or someone that's invested into you in your life? Or I'll be back there, maybe a pastor would want to baptize you. I'll baptize you if, if, if you want. But don't walk away today without this opportunity to say, hey, you know what? It's a new day. I'm going to become free. And I'm symbolizing that by being baptized. So I'm going to pray. And if you want to make a decision, you just make your way to a section host nearby. They'll walk you backstage. And we're going to do baptisms after service, okay? And so if you, if you fear crowds, this is a great opportunity for you to be baptized. All right? No excuses. <laughs> Let me pray. And, uh, and then we'll continue on. God, I love you so much. I love what you're doing in my life and in my heart. Now you're teaching me to be free. And God, you know that how sometimes I'm just my own worst enemy. And Lord, I think that's a lot of our stories in here. A lot of us, we, we know we're forgiven. It's just we have a tough time forgiving ourselves for what we did. And God, there are a lot of us who walk in here and, and we've been putting off the decision to be baptized for quite some time. But God, tonight, tonight's the night. Because tonight's the night where we're going to say it is finished. It's been done for me, and I'm going to proclaim that truth upon my life by uniting with Christ in the waters of baptism. When Jesus died, he was buried, and he resurrected again. That's the kind of new life that I want. And so, Lord, prompt, prompt us, give us the courage to make those decisions. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.